Good morning, church. Happy New Year to you. Just so you know what uh, people that, that work with me have to put up with, I was, I was sitting there, um, as, as long as we're going early on, walked to the back to Kyler, and I said, hey, Kyler, there's any way that when I get up and just start introducing that you could bring the table out, because I like to, like to use it. He said, isn't, isn't it already there? I'm like, yes, it is. Thank you. That was really good. In my defense, where I sit, it's like right level there. There are people all around, but I don't know. That's what people have to put up with around here. Thank you for putting up with me and my craziness. Welcome. Happy New Year. If you're visiting with us, please hang out with us a little longer and go to the Welcome Center, grab some coffee and have some conversation. Let us get to know you a little bit. Um, uh, we aren't uh, beginning a new series for another couple of weeks. Get everybody back here from mission trips and all of that. Uh, also, um, you know, that from time to time when you do ministry work and speak in other places, you have to suffer for the sake of the kingdom. And there, uh, next week, there's a gathering, one of the largest gatherings for college students in Churches of Christ is a thing called the Gulf Coast Getaway. And uh, Melanie and I are going there because I have to speak on the beach of Panama City, so in Florida. So I, I'm suffering for the sake of the kingdom. I just, just know I'm, I'm, I'm doing that labor for the Lord but it'll be great to be back with you in a couple of weeks. Brian will be preaching for us next week, and then we'll start a, a new series then. But I, I did want to begin just by reading a passage and thinking through a text that is often used on this week as we, we go into a new year because it helps us think about what vision that we have for a new year. But also, it's a, a passage that's classically used to think about Jesus as he begins his visible ministry. So it's a, it's a great passage to help think about kind of newness and, and how do we go uh, in our mindset to approach a new year. So if you have your Bibles or your devices that you read on, um, we're, uh, we're in Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, and it's a passage, it's a poem, it's really a song with images and, and vision for uh, the newness of God's ministry that's coming. This is the word of the Lord, Isaiah 42. God speaking, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. To open eyes that are blind and free captives from prison. And to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place. And new things, I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth... And the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I know you know this, but let's just think about this as we begin a new year. Vision is such a powerful 
thing, is it not? When you think about a vision for your life or a vision for your family, even a vision for the new year, vision for organizations or churches, vision is incredibly powerful. And the symbols and the images that we use to drive a vision can be particularly meaningful. I know you're aware of this, but when you think about uh, the great figure in American history, Walt Disney, he had a vision. And the way he described it, he said, a vision, I've got a vision, I've got a dream to, to build a vacation kingdom for the world. A vacation kingdom for the world. And of course, we know this now as Disney World or to be technical, Walt Disney World. And this is an image of the day that it opened in October of 1971 when Disney World opened in Florida. And perhaps many of you know, or at least some of you probably know, that even though Walt Disney created the vision for this, Walt Disney was not there on that day. One year after they made all the plans and they got the land and they had secured all the deal and announced to the world that they're coming to Florida and they're going to they're gonna build this thing, one year later, Walt Disney died. And when he passed away, remember the, the empire of Disney had already begun. I mean, they created Mickey Mouse and they had the cartoons and all of that. Uh, but the, Dis, the folks in the Disney Corporation and the leaders were terrified that the organization was going to fail without its visionary there. They thought the stocks would plummet and it would all fail. And what I did not realize is his brother, Roy, had been a central figure in the work all the way through. And he stepped in and he had a very now legendary meeting with the leadership of the Disney Corporation. And he announced to them that he was going to delay his retirement. 73-year-old man had worked, in, worked with Walt the whole time in all of this. But he said, and I quote, I want to read what he says here. We're going to finish this park and we're going to do it just the way Walt wanted it. And he shepherded that whole project until it opened on that day. And perhaps some of you have heard the words that have now become legendary. People came up to Roy and to other people that worked on this moment and they said, man, I wish Walt could have, been, could have seen this. Does anybody know what he said? He did. Walt Disney did see that. Even though he didn't live to see the building happen, the vision empowered his mind. He saw Disney World long before anybody else would ever walk on that property. He saw it on the board. More powerfully, he saw it in his mind. And that vision drove him literally to the last moments of his life. We are told that in the hours before he died, he was laying down on his bed telling Roy specific detailed instructions of what this should look like. I want this on this part of the property. I want this to happen. And that vision drove him to his last breath. And that vision drove Roy until people could walk onto that property. What a powerful thing. Vision. Images and symbols of vision. Incredibly powerful thing. When I think about that, it makes me think in the beginning of a new year, just to ask this question on this day, what vision is going to fuel your hopes and your plans for this new year? What vision is going to drive you? I know we go and we'll do New Year's resolutions. I'm not talking about that. Is there a vision? Is there a picture in your mind about what this year could be? There is something powerful. I know it's just the turning of a calendar, but there is something beautiful about the rhythm of newness, and we step into that, and I want to invite us to allow this text to speak vision into us, because it's been doing that for a long time. 
Uh, historically in the church, this passage that I just read is often read on this day, the beginning of a new year. And one of the reasons for that is this passage throughout the New Testament and others like it were uh, passages that cast for Jesus himself the vision of his new ministry that he would bring into the world. Here's a way to think about it. This passage in Isaiah 42 comes in the section, the second section of the book of Isaiah is all about God's comfort and hope to a, a people in, in difficulty. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And this passage itself is a song. It's a poem. And it's the first of four in this section in the chapter 40s of Isaiah. They're known as the servant songs. A way to think about this is in all of these passages, all of these songs, God prophetically declares to his people, I'm going to raise up a servant of mine. I'm going to raise up an anointed one, an appointed one, who is going to carry out my kingdom vision in the world. And this is the first of those. And here's the powerful thing. We know, of course, Jesus, yes, he's God, but we know he also emptied himself as he came, became a human being. And so he was driven in his ministry just the way we are invited to. He just did it perfectly by the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that fueled Jesus in his ministry is the same thing that the Spirit uses for you and me, passages of Scripture. And did you know Jesus saturated his ministry in the book of Isaiah and especially in this section of the book? And we'll see this a little bit more. Here's the thought. If Jesus' vision for his new ministry could be framed by the song that we just read, perhaps our year, individually, in our families, in our church, might do well to think through some of these symbols and images as well. So again, we can't dive into the details of all of it, but just think through some of the images that come out here. Uh, the first one, I really think the central one we'll spend the most of the time on, uh, the first one here shows us that God preserves and protects what is most vulnerable in our lives, in our world. God preserves and protects what is most vulnerable. Again, there's several things that are going on. He said, here's my servant. I'm going to put my spirit on him. But where do you get this image this powerful one, one of the most beautiful lines in scriptures in verse 3. This servant, this spirit anointed servant, he says, a bruised reed he will not break. You picture a plant that's just bruised a little bit, but it hasn't broken yet. A bruised reed he will not break. Or a candle, think of a smoldering wick, it says, he will not stuff snuff out. Now, I know we can kind of rush to the New Testament and start applying it all the way, but the first thing I always want to do is what was the passage saying to that group of people then, and then we can make the application more naturally for us today. Understand when this song was first sung, when Isaiah first prophesied this poetic word from the Lord, he was speaking to a people who were just like this. They were bruised, and the fire in them of God's vision of their life had almost burnt out. Remember the picture, we, if you were with us, we saw this picture. God gave him this incredible image. You're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and we lead you out of slavery and lead you into the land of promise. And they had epically failed. And the fire of the vision of God's dream had almost gone away. There's nothing left but what the scripture calls a remnant. Think about it this way. The people of God are deeply disconnected, and they are hurting. Here's a way to think about it. Uh, the section from Isaiah 40 through 55 is a, pass, uh, a part of the text that is really aimed at Israel in exile. And what that means is that they had failed so miserably, there's a sense where God allows a foreign nation to come, Babylon, to come and take the best and the brightest out of the land into exile. So you've got two different groups. One group is a group much like this one, 
The best and the brightest of the land would be taken away. And imagine being taken into captivity in Babylon for them. For us, it's 50 miles south of Baghdad in modern-day Iraq. What would it be like to be taken out of your homeland here and taken into a pagan land with a pagan king and have to live as forced exiles? That's one group of people. The other group were the the folks that were left behind. And they were left behind in a place that had been decimated and defeated and overwhelmed. And they were on the place in southern Israel that's kind of the pathway where everybody attacks them. So vandals and marauders all the time are exposing their vulnerability. Do you feel what it feels like for them? They are bruised and they are smoldering and the fire is about to go out for them. What you find is a group of people, whether they're in exile or they're back in the homeland, there's a group of people that are disconnected and they're isolated and they're staring the shame of failure in the face. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you haven't yet, you will be. And I think it's a powerful passage to begin the new year because let's be honest, we celebrate the new year and it's wonderful, but isn't life like that sometimes? With all the newness that's going on, I want to acknowledge the fact there are many folks in this room and many people that we love in our lives who are hanging on by a thread. And it's okay to say happy new year, but also we recognize and we honor and respect you might just be holding on for dear life. Hear God's word speak into that. And he says for anybody who's on their last, you know, the last leg of the rope and then the, the fire's about to go on your life, this is what he says, I'm sending my servant who's going to come and show up and will carry out the kingdom vision that I gave in the beginning. Don't give up. By the way, for centuries, people have been arguing and debating about who the servant is referring to first. We all know where it will eventually go, but as you've seen before, prophecy meant something to them then, and it also means something more full later on. Who did it mean for them? Well, several folks point out in chapter 41 and also chapter 49, it specifically calls Israel herself, the whole nation, as God's servant. So there's a sense in which God says, I'm going to restore you in such a way that you will be my servant to bring hope to the world. And that's true. And we'll talk more about that later. But it has to mean more than that because Israel herself is that flickering wick, right? And he's, he's not going to say, well, I'm going to use you to give you hope. Chapter 45 gives us another picture of this. And again, all of these can be true. Did you know God says, I'm going to actually use a pagan king? Chapter 45, verse 1, he says, I'm going to call Cyrus, the king of Persia, the next empire that's going to come. He calls Cyrus, you ready for this? My anointed one. Another translation for that, my Christ is Cyrus. Did you know God can use anybody to be his anointed leader that's going to come in and make a difference? So there is a servant, whether or not they know they're serving God, there is a servant that's going to come and bring them hope. But of course, uh, sometimes the Bible is a little more mysterious and obscure. Sometimes it's really clear. And this is one of the places we know, of course, the fullness of this. Matthew chapter 12, there's a moment in Jesus' ministry where he does this terrible, awful thing of healing somebody on a Saturday. And the religious leaders get all up in arms. Matthew 12, verse 15, it says this. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. And a large crowd followed him. And listen to this. He healed all, all, all those who were ill. And in the context of that healing, when the religious people are missing it, 
and the broken and the hurting in their new year were desperately in need. He heals them. Then it says, I love it when the Bible is this clear. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant. I will put my spirit on him. A bruised reed he will not break. It's this passage that's quoted in the New Testament. So, of course, ultimately, the servant, it meant Israel, it meant Cyrus, all of that. Ultimately, the servant we look to is Jesus himself. Now, I want you to think about this. Isn't it powerful? Back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament times, they were waiting for the servant of God to come bring a nuclear weapon, bomb the Romans, bomb the Babylonians, you know, knock them out. And God says, no, that's not my servant. My servant's going to come. This gentle, spirit-filled, powerful person that's going to heal the broken and the bending, and the smoldering wicks. And Jesus did it all throughout his ministry. He powerfully and passionately lived out this vision, didn't he? You just fill in the blanks, but let me give you a couple examples of this. I remember he's on his way to do part of his mission, and this woman who had been sick and ill and bleeding for 12 years, if you want to talk about somebody whose wick was almost out, the Bible makes very clear in Luke chapter 8, she had spent every dime that she had on a failed healthcare system. And she wasn't better. And living off of a vision and image we can talk about some other time, she goes and touches the hem of Jesus' garment and he heals her. But this is what I love. He doesn't just let the healing happen. He stops traffic to look her in the eye and to validate and call out her faith in front of all of these people. A bruised reed he will not break. I think about Peter, who epically fails, cusses Jesus out almost to his face, and he denies even knowing him. And what does Jesus do at the end of his ministry, his physical ministry? He calls Peter in front of him, and not once, not twice, but the very same amount of times that Peter denied him, he has him call out his faith, and Jesus recommissions him to ministry. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I think about the time when when parents just wanted a blessing for their children and they fought to get these children in front of Jesus and it says that the adults very intentionally pushed them away. Don't bring these children. Don't bother the teacher with this. And Jesus said, oh, absolutely not. The kingdom vision I have of God is for the vulnerable just like this. The kingdom is all about that. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, he carried out this vision. It says the vulnerable and the weak and the hurting and the needy are all about what God is pouring his life into. That's the picture that we have of Jesus in the kingdom. So at the beginning of the year, just in case you're in this room and you're thinking what a lot of people think sometimes, the image of God is him dangling you over the fires of hell on a thread, just waiting for you to fail in such a way. He cuts the thread and you go into the fire The word of the Lord says, no. The servant of God is one who will not let you break and he will not let the fire that God put in you be doused out if you do anything in your heart to turn to him. I love the language of one writer who puts it this way. They said the picture here of God's true leader, God's servant, is one who protects what is weak until it is strong enough to stand. And listen, picture this image. And keeps gentle hands cupped around a weak flame until it can burn on its own. What a powerful picture of the work of God in our lives. Remember some years ago, when we were still living in Tennessee, my wife doesn't miss anything, especially in creation, and she had noticed 
Mark, there were two robins. Baby robins that had fallen out of their nest. The animal had come and attacked. Mom was gone. Two baby robins there on the ground. How long will they last, Mark? Hours? Not long there in the ground. And so my wife does the kind of thing my wife does. She got a shoebox, tore up some toilet paper and some newspaper, and she made a makeshift nest. And what do we have in the house? We've got cats. And she had this dry cat food, and she baptized it in water to feed these birds by hand. For a couple of weeks and she did not release them I just love this picture until they could fly on their own in the garage and then she opened the door and let them go a bruised reed he will not break a smoldering wick he will not snuff out God will nurture you not until you don't ever fly on your own till you fly with the power of his Holy Spirit if you came in the doors this day fearing a God dangling over the fires of hell or you came in here and you're just one thread away from losing it, know this is the work of the Lord. That's the main image. But quickly, I want to give you a couple others. Once you get this picture and this gift, you will understand in the second part of the passage what starts out as the gift actually becomes a calling. Do you see this? What it says here in verse 6 in the imagery that it uses here is the image of a light. And he says, listen to the language of calling, verse 6, he says, I've called you, I've called you in righteousness, and I will keep and protect you, it says in verse 6. That's the gift we already talked about. I'm going to keep and protect you. I'm not going to let the fire go out. But why does he do this? Listen to this language. To be a light to the nation. To do what? To open the eyes that are blind and to free those who are captive in any way. Jesus said, I, I didn't just come to hold on and preserve the light in your life so that you can sit there and burn. I gave you a light and I reignited the light in your life so that you can then share it with other people. That's the mission and the ministry of Jesus to pass it on again and again. And I love this, these two images here. I'm going I'm to use you to open eyes to see things. The light allows you to open your eyes to see things. And to free the captives. You can get out of the dark, imprisoning places of your lives. When you have light. Here's a way to think about it. Think about rhythm. Now, we talk here from time to time about the rhythm of the Christian year, the Christian calendar, and for you know, centuries. You don't have to follow it in your life, but, but we can learn something from the rhythm of it because it's all patterned on the ministry of Jesus. And the life and the ministry of Jesus has a certain rhythm to it. And early on, the church adopted that rhythm. And think about this, whether you follow the seasons or not, think about a pattern of three movements. It's so beautiful to do it. We kind of naturally do it. But what if we intentionally did it? So we've already done part of it, but this completes it, all right? So there's a pattern of three. There's seasons of preparation. Then there's seasons of celebration. And then there are seasons of manifestation or acting out, right? Preparation, celebration, and then manifestation or acting it out. Now, we just went through seasons of preparation, remember? And we used this table for it, right? What was the season of preparation that we just went through? Somebody make me happy and at least remember that name. What was the season? Advent is a season of preparation. We prepare for the light of God coming of the world as a baby. And then we're pretty familiar with the season of celebration. What's the season of celebration that came after that? Merry Christmas. Thank you. We celebrate. By the way, it's a season, not a day. You know that. The 12 days is real. Now, again, you don't have to follow that. Follow the rhythm. 
There's preparation, there's celebration, but we miss sometimes. There is manifestation. This season, you don't have to worry about the word. It's called epiphany, but don't worry about that. What we think about in the rhythm of the life of Jesus, he wasn't just born and stopped. He grew up and then he manifested the light. He acted out the light of God. He saw this vision of the light being the light to the nations, and then he acted it out. That's why he's doing all the miracles. He's not like doing proof text for his life. He's bringing the light of God into the world. So here's a way to think about it. Have seasons in your life where you prepare. Have seasons in your life when you celebrate. And then there is a time when you stop just talking about ideas and you go act. By the way, it repeats itself. There's a season leading up to and in preparation for uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then we have a season to celebrate. What's, it's not just a day. It's actually a season of seven weeks. It's called Easter. And then after that, the rest of the church year is about Pentecost and after the Pentecost, where you, listen to me, live out and manifest the power of the resurrection. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, don't worry about all the details of that. Just think this. We don't just celebrate, oh, isn't it great? The light of God came as a baby in the world. It's time to grow up and to live out the calling having received the light. Does that make sense? Here's a simple way to do this. I want you to think about one gift that you have been given in your life. It comes from God. Every good and perfect thing comes from God. What is one gift of knowing that God is the creator of the universe? One gift that you've been given and received. What's one gift you have? Now, what if you thought about it's not just about preparing for it. It's not just about receiving and celebrating. What if your gift is also a calling to share from the gift? Just take one gift. What if, what if this was a resolution for 2023? What is one gift that you have? And I'm looking at people that have done that for me. What is one gift that you have that you then just share and you manifest and you act it out? Simple example of this. Because it's happened two years in a row, just two different people that are close to me in my life. This year, my brother... So older than I am, he's a, he's a mechanic, he's gifted in all the ways I'm not, he's so gifted, um, has worked for years, he's retired now, he's worked years as a mechanic, and he very intentionally, for weeks leading up to this, he was telling me about it, Luke now knows, but he prepared a special toolbox, a special set of very high dollar tools that he used in his business that he wanted to give to Luke. We miscommunicated over break, so he was literally sitting out front of my mother's house for an hour waiting for Luke to show up so he could give him these gifts. You should see his face as Luke is on the floor and we're playing around with him. His gift is to construct things and to build things and to fix things, and he passed it on to Luke. Just like a year ago, my father-in-law did the very same thing. What's your gift? What's your toolbox that you would give to somebody else? That's what this season is all about. We don't just receive the gift. The gift that we get becomes a calling to then share that with the rest of the world. And then quickly, the last image that might help us through the new year is a fresh declaration. Did you catch this at the very end? Just a fresh declaration. I love this language. What does it say in verse 8? Really focusing on verse 9. He said, I am the Lord. In verse 9, this is what he says. See, the former things have taken place. And new things I declare. Here the king of universe saying, new things. I'm declaring that new things are happening. Would that be important to a group of people sitting in exile or back in a devastated land? Would that be important for all of us that are hanging on the edge of the, the thread breaking or the fire going out or people that you love? Would that be important in a world that isn't what it's supposed to be? God says, I want you to know I'm declaring new things to happen. One of the greatest works of God that we see in scripture from beginning to literally the end is that our God is the one that makes things new. 
of the most beautiful passage in all of Scripture. Go read it sometime. Revelation 21, the first five verses. It starts out saying, God says at the end, I'm going to make, don't think of floating away with harps and wings. That's not the picture. He said, a new heavens and a new earth. And God's going to be at the center of it all. And there'll be no more tears or crying or mourning or pain. And then he says, listen to this language, behold, I am making, does anybody know what he says? All things new. I don't know about you. I need more than just the calendar flipping resolutions. New Year's more than, than just losing weight and working out. What if we hear God's declaration that he's not just making the year new, he's making everything new. And what if that were an image and a vision that we lived out in our lives? We don't just receive it as fun. What if we thought in 2023, God wants to use you to be part of his restoration work to make everything new? Here's a simple way to think about applying this. If you weren't here with us, I'll tell you what we did. But when we were going through the preparation season of Advent, we had a wreath on the table. We had candles. And every time I lit these candles, I invited you to do something. And now if you did that, it'll be a way to complete it even more powerfully. As we lit those candles, I said, I want you to think about one place in your life or in the world that needs the light of God to come into it. One place that isn't right, painful, difficult, broken, whatever. It could be your own heart, could be something else. And as we lit those candles, we prayed prayers. God, would you bring your light into that? That's great for preparation and for celebration because God's light will come. Now, here's what happens when you move to a season of action and manifestation. You ready? Think about this. What if you thought about the prayer you prayed and that dark and broken place in the world? And think about this. Is it possible that God doesn't just want you to pray? Maybe God wants to use you to be part of the answer to your own prayer. You ever thought about that? That's what a season of manifestation acting out is. What if you weren't just saying, God, I want light to come to the world and my, per and my friend's going through dark difficulty or struggles or whatever. What if God says, I'm inviting you not just to receive the fact that I came here. I want to use you to answer your own prayer. You see this, by the way, in the words of Jesus. You remember those famous words he said, he was talking about the power of prayer, and he said, ask, seek, somebody finish the third one for me. Ask, seek, and what? Knock. Have you ever thought about those are different things? So you can ask and you can seek for the kingdom of God come, but he also wants to invite you to get up and you knock on the door. Have you ever thought about this? Be careful when you pray. Because God wants to use you to be part of the answer to your own prayer. So that's a challenge for 2023. You prepared for it for a month. What if you now say, okay, as in this season of epiphany manifestation, of living it out, of trying to step into the active ministry of Jesus, God, would you use me in some way to be part of the answer to my own prayer? Isn't that powerful? So here's the, here's the idea. God is restoring and making all things new, and he wants to use you as a part of his restoration work. I saw a glorious picture of this over Christmas. You know what I think about? We went home and I, I got to spend some time with my father-in-law. I love having a guy when one of the greatest gifts of many great gifts of marriage is I got to call somebody dad again. I hadn't been able to do that since I was 10 years old. And so I've got dad in my life again. It's Melanie's father. And he is so incredibly gifted. He's worked in every possible thing. He's helped build power plants. He's, he was a welder. He's a construction worker. But his, his real passion is restoring cars. He loves doing that. He loves stripping it down. He loves sanding it down, painting it. He's in his late 70s. He still does this. 
And so he does the body work and he does the paint, does all that kind of stuff. But he's special. He's especially known for his wheels and tires. He would sell those for years. So he can take a piece of junk car and make you want to pay more for it because he'll put great wheels and great tires on it. He's just a master at doing all that. A lot of you know this time last year, a few weeks before, Melanie lost her mother. And um, at that time, she had a vehicle that had been kind of passed through the family. She had an old Ford Ranger, and, and so her, one of her brothers had it, and then he passed it on, and, and then she got it. And here's the thing. I want you to picture, some of you know this, it was an old farm truck. Can you imagine what it looked like already? So it was beat up, had dents, had a big hole in it, and all that kind of stuff. So it was already messed up. Then she got it, and then she was sick for a long time. And so in addition to all, it had been worked really hard. It just sat there for a while. Anybody know what happens to a vehicle when it just sits? Right? She, she can't go out and drive it. There's nothing she could do about it. She did the best she could, but it was just sitting there. And so literally the tires dry rotted. I mean, you know, it's rusting and all this kind of stuff. And dad got it last year. And this is what it looks like now. And I know some people are like blown away when somebody restores a Corvette or, you know, and, and 55 Chevy, and he's done all that too. We were sitting in uh, Melanie's brother's apartment, and he's telling me detail by detail how he restored this truck. And he popped out the back, they sanded it all down, they found the right paint, they painted it, got a new grill for the front. And I realized as he's talking, I mean, I could go on and on, um, as he's going through this, like this is his love language, Right? I mean, just incredible details. If you look, you can't quite probably see it, but if you look really closely, the inside of the wheels perfectly matches the paint of the truck itself. He did all of that. And he's a master at chrome, and so there's a bed liner in the back, and then he took an extra piece of chrome and ran it all around. And, uh, and I especially love down the side, that black pinstripe he painted with his own hands. Now, he's never going to gush, and he's never going to do all of that. But what that vehicle says is, I love that woman lover and do you hear me that's what God says to you and if you walk into this room thinking my life is a piece of junk and it's good for nothing just to be set on the side of the road and rust out and die God says behold I am making all things new and I'm going to restore you and make you part of a restored community, not just so that you enjoy it, so that you drive your life around and bring the restoration to God, of God, to other people as well. You are a manifestation of God's hope. And this is a manifesto, a declaration that God is bringing hope in the world. And that's visible and it's tangible. This is my prayer for the new year. Let's not just celebrate it and receive it. Some of you need to receive it today because you don't believe what I just said. Holy Spirit, tell them you are making all things new, no matter where they've been and what they've done. But hear me, you don't just receive it. Now we are invited to take the hope of God you've received and make it visible and tangible in the world. The power of his Holy Spirit. Father God, that's our praise to you. You are the one with kingdom vision. And you cast it before you created this world. And you cast it again when we broke it again and again. You cast it most powerfully in the life of your son. And you continue to do it in the life of your son in the body of Christ today. We offer you our lives to be part of the answer to your prayers in us. And our prayers to you. For the name and the glory of the resurrected Christ we pray. Amen.